Well, good evening, everybody. It's always so nice to be here with you in the evening service and to be able to share. So we're continuing tonight with our series on overflow, and the title for tonight's message is Overflow in the Valley, and we'll, we'll hopefully get there at the end. Uh, some of you know me, and you know that I like to preach and teach the Bible, but I'm actually probably not preaching that exegetically tonight, more trying to tell a story. Uh, so if you have a device, we're going to be talking through Genesis 26. I'm not going to read the text, actually. It's just too long. So I'll kind of just talk you through the main points of it. But uh, tonight, just before you go to bed, you can read Genesis 26 uh, as well in that place. Um, yeah, I love the Bible. Too. I'm actually, <laughs> I was thinking earlier, I'm, I'm facilitating a course on Ephesians for some uh, master's level students. I'm doing a survey course on Paul's letters and I'm teaching Acts in the mornings. And tonight I'm in Genesis. So I'm, I've got like a full thing going with the Bible. And so uh, as we consider the story, one of the things I really, really love about the Bible stories is just that they're true to life. They talk about real people who follow in God, but not perfect people. They don't idealize the people that we read about. And we're going to read about Isaac tonight. We're going to read about or talk about Isaac tonight. We're going to talk about the things he did well. And we're going to talk about some of the mistakes he made, things he didn't do so well. But God still works in his life. And so even as we follow God and we try listen to him and obey what he tells us, the standard is not perfection. The standard is that we're moving towards him and we're obeying him and following him. So uh, we read about people that are just like us. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, obviously, they dressed a little differently and didn't have cell phones and things. But in terms of their humanity, they really like us. Uh, also, don't have a PowerPoint, so don't worry. The guys at the back haven't forgotten anything important uh, as well. So it's not on them. I really just felt not to, to do that tonight. So Genesis 26 tells the story of uh, uh, Abraham's son, Isaac. And Isaac comes to this place where there's a famine in the land, like there was in his father's day, the text tells us. And what Abraham had done in, in that time is he went down to Egypt because in Egypt they, have, they had and have the river Nile, which comes from Africa. Okay, uh, unless Ethiopia dams it up, Egypt gets water. You can read in the news about that. Egypt's a little worried. Ethiopia's building a dam, uh, and so there's some geopolitical things going on there. Just like in this story, there's some geopolitical things going on. Isaac is a foreign national. If you really want, if you're this way inclined, if you're very woke, let me give it to you in woke language. Isaac is a foreign national. He's an immigrant, and they're going to have issues here about water rights in a semi-arid region. So might be some relevance, by the way. If any of you work or study in the field of the environment, water rights become a big thing in the next couple of years in South Africa. Uh, but in the space of being a foreign national, Isaac, uh, he wants to do, he has an option at least of going down to Egypt like his father did. That would have been the conventional wisdom. Go where there's water. Go where the river Nile is. That's what you must do. But God tells him not to go. God says to him, I want you to kind of stay in the area in. And the area he's in is kind of, um, if you can imagine the map of Israel, it's kind of towards the south, uh, as far as we know. But they're not like 100, 100% certain where this, the area of Gerar or Gerar is. I don't know how the Hebrews pronounced it. I, I wasn't alive. Um, but Gerar, if you like Western and white, you say Gerar or you say Gerar, or if you want to maybe sound a little bit Semitic in your origin. But uh, it's kind of, to this, we know it's to the southern part of Israel, semi-arid region, not a lot of rainfall. Isaac's in the area, and it's the Philistines that are ruling in that area at the time. So it's not even necessarily friendly people, and they're in the nation of the kings called Abimelech, that he lives there. 
But God tells Isaac to stay there because he says, if you stay here, I will still fulfill the promise I made to your father Abram that through all the nations of the earth you will be blessed, or through you, sorry, all the nations of the earth will be blessed and you will be blessed as well. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. It's the promise God made to Abraham. And he tells Isaac that don't go down to Egypt, stay here. And if you obey me, I will bless you. And then there's this nice little verse in the NIV, so Isaac stayed. He stayed in Gerar. He stayed in this region where there's famine, there's scarcity, there's a lack of resources, uh, there's pressure on the whole population. But he obeys God. And that's very important to remember that in everything that we're going to hear about Isaac, it starts the story that he obeys God. And that's what's so important in our life. No matter what issues we're facing, uh, whether we're in a foreign nation, what pressures we're experiencing, what the a political, the economic situation around us is, what the socio-political situation is, what really counts is that we obey God in this space. And so Isaac stays in, and the timeline in the text is not so clear, but even though Isaac obeys God, he, he doesn't do right by his wife. His father did the same thing in Egypt, by the way, but now what happens is he, he gets scared. He, he allows fear to conquer his heart. And he reckons because his wife is very beautiful, the Bible says she's very beautiful. So the inspired word of God declared that she was beautiful, so therefore she must have been. However beauty was defined, about before 1200, maybe around 1500 BC, more or less. Okay, um, But she's beautiful, and Isaac is scared that because she's so beautiful, the, the people will kill him so that they can get her if they find out she's his wife. So he lies. The man who obeys God is a liar. <laughs> okay, he doesn't do right by his wife, and he says that she's his sister. Now, I don't think this is one of those things where you can wangle it. You know, like in some of the African cultures, your cousins, you, you refer to your cousins as your brothers and your sisters. It's, it's not like that, okay? He lies. Okay, uh, he says she's his sister so that actually the, the, he'll get respect, and they'll actually think, well, we have to win the brother's favor. But it's, the text is interesting because it says, after they'd been there a long while, Abimelech, the king, sees, and the NIV says it in such an interesting way, caressing his wife. Okay, I'm sure it was not a brotherly caress, because the king then realizes this guy is lying. Because he then goes to Isaac and he confronts him, and he says, you lied to us, why did you do this? And he says, because I scared you are going to kill me. And then he says, you, Abimelech, the Philistine king, says to him, you could have got us into big trouble with God, Neil's paraphrased version, okay? You're going to get us into big trouble with God. What happens if one of my people had slept with her? God would have, like, judged us. And then Abimelech says, he, he makes a proclamation to all his people. He's probably like a tribal chief, okay? But he makes a proclamation. He says, no one touches Isaac or his wife. And so then Isaac can go all legit in public with his secret relationship, okay? But it's, it's the humanity. He, he, he's walking in the promises of God. He has a revelation of God from his father's life. Remember, this is Isaac who lay on the altar with his daddy over him with a knife. And then God provided the, this, the, the ram caught in the bush. Okay, so, so Isaac has a revelation of God. He knows something about God, enough that he obeys God, but he's human. He's frail, just like us. So he doesn't do right by his wife. And then it, the text says, in that same year, however that year that was, he says, Isaac planted and he gets a very successful harvest of whatever he planted, a hundredfold is the way the NIV translated. So he really gets a superabundant harvest. Now, whether that was in famine or if it was a while later, but the point being is he plants and he gets a harvest. Now, semi-arid region, it's probably a mixed economy at that time. You're either 
like a, um, you had flocks, you looked after, what, what's that, shepherd, okay? You had uh, attended livestock or you planted. But Isaac plants, and he, we know he's got livestock, we read that later in the text. So he's involved in the mixed economy of the, of the region, and God blesses him. And he blesses him more and more and more, and Isaac becomes really, the, the, the text says, very wealthy. So like when it says his wife's beautiful, when it says he's very wealthy, then he's rich. Okay, like loaded rich. Lacking nothing. Many servants. If he plants it, it grows. He's got lots of uh, flocks and li- you know, livestock that he's got. He becomes so rich that the people become jealous of him. But there's also probably something in it in that, that he's more successful than what they are. So the foreign national, the immigrant in the country, in the region, is more successful than them, and the people become jealous of him. Okay? And probably he's using a lot of resources because he's got a lot of flocks. He's watering his... So he's using resource in a resource-scarce area. And so Abimelech the king comes to me and he says, you need to go. Uh, you need to move away from us. And so wherever uh, they were situated, Isaac moves a short distance away, probably even more south, to what the Bible tells us is the Valley of Gerar or the Valley of Gerar. He stays in this valley. It's a place that he's kind of been forced to go. He didn't choose it. He had to probably leave where he'd been planting these crops, a place where he had success, the place where he had the hundredfold harvest. Okay, and he has to leave. And he goes to another valley. Now, one of the things that also starts happening is when the Philistines get jealous of him, they start filling up the wells that Abram, his father, dug. Now, digging wells, uh, how many of you come from a Syria Arab region like the Karoo, maybe, in South Africa or the Northern Cape? Okay, so you have no reference point. Um, <coughs> phone a farmer friend. Okay, wood is very important. But now, remember, they don't have drills and boreholes and things. They dig manual labor by hand or with tools, I'm sure. But they dig it's very manual. Water becomes very important. So there's an interesting thing here. His father dug the well. So the assumption is that because his father dug the well, Abraham, he would have at least rights to the well. But the Philistines fill up the wells. And so when he gets to the valley of Gerar, he gets to this place where he's kind of forced to go, not the place of his dreams. And he starts opening up the wells that his father dug in that place. And the text is interesting. He says he gave them the same names his father gave them. So not only does he reopen the wells, what also happens is he starts digging new ones. Uh, The Bible tells us about three, four new wells that he dug, sorry. The first two, he digs them, and then the the Philistine herders come, and they say, no, actually, it's our water. Uh, You're in our country, that's ours. It's a new well. Hasn't been there before, but obviously they believe they've got the water rights. Okay, And so there's dispute, and there's conflict. He digs one. The Philistines come and they say, no, 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 actually, this is ours. Thank you for your service. We'll take it. And he digs another well. And a similar thing happens. They come, and, and, it, and it's in the names of the wells. The one's called, um, <laughs> now I better remember the names. Um, the one's called Esek, which means dispute. And the second well's called Sitna, which means opposition. Okay, in the Hebrew language, apparently. That's what they mean. And so he names the places after his experience of them. And then he's... Uh, his um, servants dig another well, and there's no opposition to that. And so he calls that well Reheboth, which means there's room for us. And he actually says, finally, in this valley that I was forced to go to, where people are challenging my water rights, there's room for me. God has made a place for me. The story goes on, 
And while his servants are digging another well, he's at a place called what later actually became known as Beersheba. But he goes to this place. And then Abimelech comes to visit him. Now, it's an interesting visit. It says that he brings his closest advisor with him. So he brings his number one political guy with. And he brings the chief, of the, the captain of his army with. So it's, um, <laughs> it's not a social call. Okay, got number one politician, number one in the army with you. We're coming to visit. And, and Isaac actually says to them, well, why did you come? Because you actually chased me away. Now, you, you know, why are you bothering me? And they say, no, we see God has blessed you. And there needs to be peace. There needs to be a peace between us. And so Isaac lays out a spread for them, gives them a feast, and they make a treaty of peace. And just after that's happened, these servants come and tell him about this fourth well that they've dug, which was called Sheba, which means the place of peace or the oath of peace. And so he names it after that place. So that's the, the rough outline of the story. And I wanted to just go through that and, and comment a little bit as we go. Uh, just some thoughts that I had as I was preparing from that lesson. So firstly... We must note, as I said, that Isaac responds in obedience. Now, the conventional wisdom of the day would have been to go to Egypt because they've got water. His family wisdom, his traditions would have told him, go to Egypt. That's what his father did. That's where God provided for, for his father as well. It was, but God tells him to do something different. In fact, it's a bit like God is saying to him, uh, one of the words from the pre-service prayer, there's a, I think it's in the Proverbs, I hope it is, lean not on your own understanding. Isaac's own understanding would have led him to Egypt. But God speaks. He not only listens and goes, he doesn't just do the good to know. He goes, I'll obey. And he stays where he's supposed to stay. So he kind of goes against the conventional wisdom of the day. And that's a real possibility. If you're in a relationship with God and you're following him, he might tell you to go against conventional wisdom. He might tell you to do something that seems to not make much sense. Sometimes it makes sense and you obey God. Sometimes it seems a little counterintuitive against what you might regard as common sense in that space. Can I pick on you, Darlene? Do you mind? So while we were worshiping, I thought that maybe the Lord's saying something to you just about obeying Him and not following convention. So... Uh, Chat to your folks, please. So, so Darlene's folks oversee the um, prophetic team at the church. So there's no pressure in me giving her a word that's going to be tested yet. Okay, no, none at all. Uh, but sorry, I don't normally single people out, but I just thought really, I think God's asking you to do something that might not appear conventional, might not make sense naturally. Just obey him. She's nodding her head, so I'm hoping I'm like at least in the ballpark of God. Yeah, okay. All right. <sighs> okay, so obedience. He, he follows God and he's obedient. But we also see that, as I said, he lies about his wife. And so even, we see it from Isaac, that even though he's in the place of obedience, he still over, get, he's human. He's like us. He gets overcome by fear. And he lies to protect his life. He's in fear of losing his life. And so it's interesting that in this place of obedience to God, you don't have to be perfect. You have to be obedient. Now, I think if you're living in deep sin and you're discrediting the testimony of God in your life, that's not fine. But you can obey God and not be perfect. Okay. God allows for that. God understands who we are. He understands that we've fallen. <laughs> okay. He understands that sometimes even though we do everything right, we still 
sin. Even though we don't want to, sometimes we do. That doesn't disqualify you from being obedient. You do need to confess your sin. Uh, 1 John 1, 9, confess your sin and God is faithful to forgive. So it's not okay to keep the sin. And I mean, it becomes super embarrassing for Isaac. The king looks down and sees you caressing your wife. Bust. Because okay. sin's always going to embarrass you somewhere. Okay. But you don't have to be perfect. You have to obey. Okay. You hear the tension that I'm talking about. I'm not saying you can live like you want and God doesn't mind. That's not what I'm saying. In case you heard that. Okay. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you don't have to be perfect to obey. Okay. He's still very human, but he's there. You can also be in the place of God's obedience, like Isaac was, and experience opposition. He gets forced to leave where he's become quite comfortable. He gets forced to leave a place where he's had economic success, a hundredfold harvest. And he has to go to a valley where probably not his first choice that he went to go. Okay? But he goes there. He experiences opposition. He digs wells and there's quarreling. He digs wells and there's opposition. So being obedient to God doesn't mean there's no opposition. You can be 100% in the will of God and face opposition. Life is not always just smooth sailing. It's, there's times when it really is, and the wind is in your, at your back, and you just go, and there's a flow in the Spirit. But you can even be in a deep flow of the Spirit of God. You can be in a place of miraculous provision of God, like Isaac was, and it can still be opposition. From outside, maybe you've got a few Philistines in your life, okay? And sometimes it's from within. That's the reality of life. So don't assume that with obedience there won't be opposition. In fact, if I look at where things in the world are going, if I talk about the world and in general, okay, um, if I look at the way things are going, there's going to be more opposition if you want to stay obedient to Jesus. More opposition if you want to stay faithful to following Christ. I don't think the opposition is going to get less. I think it's going to get more. And I think we're going to be more socially ostracized. And I think we're going to be called more horrible names. And we're going to be called more weird. People are going to think we're weirder and weirder and weirder. But we call to be obedient. That's what we learn from Isaac's life in this place. The Philistines became jealous of him. Maybe God blesses you so much that people become jealous of you. It would be wonderful, won't it? Okay. But what really matters is not the opposition. What really matters is the obedience Okay, so don't be surprised by opposition. I do want to put in a bit of a disclaimer here. So while Isaac is super blessed, okay, it says he's very rich. Everything's materially, he's very, very blessed, okay, in the material way. Being in God's world doesn't always mean you will be materially blessed. There'll, mean, there'll be provision for you, but, but it doesn't mean you'll be very wealthy. You say, is that biblical? You know, look at Isaac, look at Abraham, they obeyed God and they were blessed. Well, look at Jesus. I think he obeyed God. He wasn't materially blessed. Look at Paul. I'll just go, I'll stop there. Okay. So, so don't always equate obedience with material blessing. Okay. There's provision. Because we clearly see in this whole Isaac story, as he obeys God, there's provision for him. But part of what God did in his life by blessing him materially so much was it was part of God's testimony to the nations around him that he was a follower of God. And for sure, we can trust God for that testimony as well, okay, in our lives. Amen? No amens. Okay, it's cool. 
just getting laughed at. It's cool. Okay. Um, so, by the way, you, you can be experiencing material pressure or material lack, and you can still be obedient to God. You can still be in the will of God for your life. Okay. It's very, there's lots of stories like that in the Bible. Start with Jesus. I'm not saying Jesus was poor. I'm just saying he didn't own flocks and have many servants like Isaac did. It's, I'm just drink, using that by way of contrast. So you can be in the place that God has for you and not own five cars. And, okay, now I'm going to stop. I was going to say 100 suits and different things, but then I'm, okay, I'll stop right there. <clears throat> okay. Even though Isaac's in this place of blessing, even though Isaac's in this place of provision, he still had to work hard, him and his servants, okay? They still had to plant the crops. No tractors, no mechanics, probably some oxen and things, and hand plows. They had to work hard to plant the crops to get that thousand, what, not thousandfold, sorry, I'm exaggerating, hundredfold harvest, okay? To get that hundredfold harvest, they had to plant. They had to work hard. They still had to reopen the wells that his father dug that the Philistines had refilled. I don't know if you've ever had that joyous experience of digging open something that has been closed up. Uh, I was of the generation that did military service. It's fun. You just dig a hole, you fill it up, and then you dig it again. Just because somebody decides it's a good idea on the day. Okay. But you, you might have to go and redo work that's already been done. Spiritually or physically. You still work hard to experience the life-giving water that comes from the wells. They still had to dig the new wells. Hard work to experience to get to the blessing of God. They had to face the conflict and opposition. But here's the encouraging word. They persevered. Very important word. They kept on doing what they knew was right to do. They kept on obeying what God told them to do. Even when there was opposition, even when they got chased from a place of success, even then they just kept on doing what they knew. God said, stay here in this land. So they stayed. And then God made room for them. They dig this well and there's no opposition. Imagine their surprise. <laughs> kind of dig it and they stand around for two days waiting. Who's coming? And it just, Rehoboth, God makes room. And so sometimes as we obey God, whether that's physical space or it's just space within ourselves emotionally to handle pressure and things. God makes room for you. And so on, at the end of obedience, there's a place where God makes space for you. If you talk to people who've built ministries for God or built churches and led churches and things like this, you push and you push and then God makes a space for you in the space, in, in that as well. But I wouldn't be, and so by the way, that, that, that word, the, the last well that they dig where they get space is Shibna, which where the, the name um, Beersheba comes from. It's a place of, of oath, a place of peace that God brings Isaac to as well. So he goes through this whole journey, digging wells, opposition. God makes space, and then they come, and they make this covenant of peace with the people that had actually rejected them. Abimelech comes. He comes with an entourage. He comes with some power behind him, some threat, but they come to this place of peace. And then God appears to Isaac again, and he reconfirms his promises to, that he gave to his father. But he, it's almost like God personalizes it in the language. He says, it's your children and your descendants, they will be blessed. And so the promises of God are reconfirmed again in Isaac's life because he was obedient, because he was faithful to that. 
There's another perspective on this that I just want to share with you quickly. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, New Testament, thousands of years later, written for us. And Hebrews 11 is a chapter of faith. It talks about all the people who followed God in faith. And it actually talks about Abram and Isaac and Jacob, one of Isaac's sons. And it says that they were men of faith. They also followed God in faith. And then it says this interesting thing. And they did not see the the full fulfillment of the promises that God gave them. They died still expecting that God would do more. Because you see, when Isaac died, because we're talking about him tonight, he didn't see all the nations of the earth blessed through his descendants. That was still coming. And so here's the interesting thing about obedience to God. It's never just about you. God's always got the next generation in mind. So sometimes your obedience, your perseverance under pressure, your perseverance through conflict, you're experiencing blessing when God makes room and place for you. Even then, it's not just about you. It's about the ones who come after you. And I know the millennials are coming after me and Jesus is doing a deep work in my heart. Um, um, okay, I'll, no. Hebrews 11 tells us that our faith journeys are journeys of obedience. Sometimes we don't experience the full fruit of that. There's, um, when I was recently converted, one of the things I did is I read testimonies about Christians that were martyred in China. Uh, stories by the, one of them was Watchman Nee, and then another story I read was about, about a guy in communist Russia who got killed for his faith. The, story, the name of the guy was Vanya, which is impressive. I read that very long ago, and I still remember his name. But what is interesting is their obedience to God, they never saw the fruit of. But generations after them, the seed that they had sown led to God being able to do something in those nations. So we build, our obedience builds for the kingdom of God. Our obedience builds for the next generation or for future generations. So your obedience is never just for you. Please remember that when it's really hard. Your obedience sometimes is for your children. Your obedience where you're resisting that sin or you're resisting that pattern in your family, that thing that's just been there for generations, it's never just for you. It's for the generations that come after you. So have a larger perspective than your little life, whether you live to be 120 or not. Have a larger perspective than that. And so if you want to experience overflow in the valley, the valley here is the place that Isaac ended up where he didn't intend to be, but he ended up there because he was obedient. If you want to experience overflow of blessing, the key to that is obedience, to both listen and to obey, because where God sends, God will provide as well. And some of you are sitting here, and I want you to remember, uh, Pastor Letitia had this thought in the pre-service prayer, remember when you were obedient to God. Remember the times you could say that, I know, while I was obedient to God, maybe He spoke to you and you heard Him and you obeyed, Maybe you heard a teaching from the Bible and you changed something in your life. You obeyed what God said through the word. Or maybe you heard a sermon and you obeyed what you felt God was saying to you. Trust your memories of obedience to motivate you for your next step of obedience tonight. And so I'm going to pray in a minute. And then I'm going to ask you to maybe break into small, appropriately socially distanced groups. Uh, (laughs) This has got nothing to do with what I've said, but... um, I'm talking with some of our high school ministry guys around uh, dating. We're, doing, we're like trying to do a podcast on it. And I've just realized this COVID is fantastic for dating. Just a meter and a half until you're married. It's sick, very good. Okay. <clears throat> you 
go all COVID in your relationships now. Okay. Um, okay, back on point. Okay. We're going to ask that you maybe just break into smaller groups, two or three people. Just please keep the masks on and the distance is appropriate. And, and if there's two things. One, what obedience are you facing? Is there an obedience that God has asked you to step into or that he has that you're already in? But just share with the group. There's a place where you know that you need to be obedient or you are being obedient in. And, or if you want to, then just share in the group, just I'm experiencing opposition or conflict like Isaac experienced in this place. And won't you pray for us? Pray for one another and pray that God makes room. It's a nice language from the Bible. Pray that God makes room for you in the place of conflict, in the place of opposition, and to continue being obedient. So just, you can find two or three people just after I've prayed, and uh, just share with them how, this, how you see this playing out in your life, if that's okay. Stephen, is there anything else that needs to happen before I pray? Okay. Father, thank you that you call us. You speak to us, and you know what's really, really best for us, even though it might lead us into semi-arid places, desert places. Thank you that you love us enough to speak to us. Won't you empower us by your Spirit to be, to be able to say yes, Lord, to be people of obedience to you, to take that step of obedience, that step of faith, that we can be a people who will do what God tells us to do. And thank you that your Spirit lives in us to sustain us on our journeys of obedience, even if those are long journeys of obedience in the same direction. Thank you, too, that you give us brothers and sisters around us who can pray for us when we face opposition, when we come into conflict. And thank you that you're working for good in our lives, making room for us. And so, Lord, we love you. We want to love you more. Help us to love you more by being obedient to you. Because it is Jesus who said that if you love me, you'll obey me. And so if you're battling with obedience, work on your love. Pray, ask God, help me to love you more. God knows you, he understands your frailty, he understands the sin temptations that you face, the opposition that you're in. But Lord, help us to love you more. So that we can be people like Jesus who say that I only do what I see my Father doing. The world must learn that I love my Father and that I do what my Father commands me to do. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. So thank you for joining us tonight. Maybe share with one or two people uh, around you if you can. Please masks on. Thank you for joining us in the online space. The light still didn't come on. Uh, have a good week, and God will be with you as you go into the week. Amen? Thank you.